Welcome to Union Money. I'm Brian Hurst. This evening we're focusing on healthcare with some emphasis on the recently released National Health Insurance Bill. All South Africans understand that the country's current approach to healthcare needs to be addressed. The goal has to be to deliver universal access to healthcare. Reform is clearly needed and the discussion going forward is how will NHR solve this problem without damaging what currently exists in private healthcare. The bill has met with a lot of criticism with concerns about how it will be funded and how it will fix the collapsing public system. Joining me this evening is Ryan Noach, Deputy CEO of Discovery. Ryan, lovely to have you on the program. Uh, Ryan, just the first question, does national health really address this universal concept of providing healthcare for everyone in the country? Well, you know, Brian, there's no doubt that universal healthcare is required. We need uh, much better access to affordable healthcare for all South Africans. Our government has chosen a route of a national health insurance scheme as the chosen path. Uh, and of course, we have to support that and work with that to make sure it achieves universal healthcare. But then let's talk about everyone's concern about where the money's going to come from. If you look at what's happening in public service today in the hospitals, that's falling to pieces. Doctors aren't available. You look at the statistics, how many patients per doctor in this country compared to other countries. So, I mean, how can we possibly fund it? Where's this money going to come from? Yeah, you've raised the uh, fundamental issue, Brian. And the one thing that the current National Health Insurance Bill that's been tabled for public comment does not cover at all and really is really sparse on is the funding and uh, the Treasury's contribution towards this National Health Insurance Fund. So we don't know how it will be funded, we don't know what it will cost, and the comprehensive service package that it refers to, the set of healthcare benefits that everybody in South Africa who's on the NHI will have access to, that set of benefits is not yet defined. Until those benefits are defined, it's impossible to actually work out what this will cost. Ryan, there have been other, in the last two weeks, other reports that have come out. And how, how do they differ from the proposals on the NHR bill? It's been a very busy two weeks in healthcare policy formulation. Uh, first, there was the release of the National Health Insurance Bill, and together with that, the Medical Schemes Amendment Act, which sets about amending the current Medical Schemes Bill legislation. Uh, and about a week, 10 days later, uh, was the report from the Health Market Inquiry, which was a 500-page report uh, prepared by this panel, five-person panel, convened by the Competition Commission, who have worked for over four years now to put together some structural recommendations around healthcare. Uh, there is a bit of confusion because what's in the Medical Schemes Amendment Act and the National Health Insurance Act is not entirely aligned to what the Health Market Inquiry report has recommended. Of course, it needs to be understood that the Health Market Inquiry uh, is a, a body of the Competition Commission and provides recommendations, whereas the Department of Health who re releases these acts, the Medical Schemes Amendment Act and the National Health Insurance Act, they can table this into the law. Some, look, I mean, you talk about it, there are some onerous things, there are some concerns. We already don't have enough doctors. It appears a lot of our doctors have left these shores and gone elsewhere, and yet we have the situation where doctors or future doctors are very unclear of what this all leads to. I mean, what are they going to be required? What services are they going to provide? Are they still going to be able, are they going to have to work both in public and private sector? Any, any thoughts on that? We do face significant human resource challenges in the healthcare sector. Uh, you know, you attributed it to immigration, which could be one of the reasons. But fundamentally, 
we are not producing sufficient doctors every year. And this is something that our Minister of Health agrees with and has spoken about many times. Our medical schools in South Africa currently produce about 1,200 doctors a year. And the calculations done by uh, the College of Medicine, uh, which is the academic body that approves medical speciality degrees, the College of Medicine has recommended that we need roughly double that on a study that they performed. Uh, so we're about 50% short of the production of doctors that we require in the country just to meet the, the healthcare needs. Ryan, what role does a company like Discovery play in encouraging people to go into medicine, car car uh, encourage them to specialize? Because, you know, again, we talk about general practitioner, we talk about specialists. Do you have a, a bursary scheme, yeah, have a system that's in play? Yeah, it's the question we love getting asked. We've actually played a very central and fundamental role. Through the Discovery Foundation, which has been around for more than 10 years now, we're contributing about 300 million rand towards doctor training. Our philosophy is to, to contribute that money primarily towards specialist training. Uh, it's the foundation's view and its trustees' view that if we teach the teachers and we help form an echelon of really super specialist teachers, we will be able to continue to provide excellent medical training to both undergraduate and to registrar level doctors that are doing their speciality training. Because that's so critical, I mean the numbers, but, but, but how have you had any reaction from any of the doctors who, who've discussed this? I mean, I know there's submissions that have to, had to be submitted within 90 days of that bill coming out. Uh, I think before we came on here, you told me there are going to be thousands of submissions. How are they going to vet all this? And, and have you had, the, just to go back to the initial question, have you had any reaction from doctors who are saying, you know, enough, this is enough and we're not, going, we're not even going to be part of this? I, you know, we certainly haven't heard people saying we don't want to be part of it. And I think what the doctor community is really aligned to is highly affordable, accessible, high quality healthcare. And that really is what they want. They want to give the best quality of care to their patients. They are deeply concerned as a community. There are recommendations in the Health Market Inquiry report around their tariffs. The minister has made some public statements around co-payments. Both the Medical Schemes Amendment Act and the Health Market Inquiry Report make very clear recommendations and statements that could be tabled into law around some of the tariff and co-payment issues. And so the doctors are concerned, I think primarily by the uncertainty um, and ultimately hopefully clarity emerges and hopefully there's a very clear and sustainable pathway. At the same time, there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, for the first time in some time, the Department of Health is releasing some tenders now uh, wherein it seeks to contract doctors, both in the private and public sector, to uh, help with waiting list initiatives and to improve the level of care, uh, for example, in cataracts or in maternal health or in oncology. And so there is reason to be optimistic as well. Our response has been uh, quite proactive in that we're currently doing a national roadshow, meeting as many doctors as we can as a company, just talking to them and airing and understanding these concerns, we think it's a time for everybody to come together and collaborate and work constructively to, to support this ultimate, obje ultimate objective of universal health care. Well, we're going to take a break. You can call us this evening on 011-484-0468. Please note it's a new number, 011-484-0468. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly.
Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing healthcare. My guest is Ryan Loach. And if you want to call 011-484-0468, you can also email me at brian at bdtv.co.za. David and Janice, is it true that both litigious patient and costs of insurance are driving some doctors out of the profession? Oh, it's absolutely Certainly true. at the at certain specialist level, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Some specialists are worst affected. What we saw was when there were amendments passed to the road accident fund, to the legislation relating to the road accident fund, a lot of the third party litigation attorneys who focused on road accident claims previously moved their focus to medico legal claims. And of course there may well be a need as well. Uh, so we're seeing premiums for some specialities escalating dramatically. Uh, and the number of claims and the quantum of the settlements being quite enormous. The worst affected being obstetricians by far, uh, but also the neurosurgeons and anaesthetists also affected. So these are all at specialist level that, uh, I mean, so one wonders why, they, why the professionals are charging so much more. I mean, they've got to pick up these costs for their professional indemnity and liability insurance. Yeah, and particularly in the case of obstetric care, it is extremely worrying for the doctors and for the whole healthcare system. It's becoming almost affordable. There's some obstetricians uh, in one particular type of medical legal insurance who are paying up to 850,000 rand a year for their medical legal cover. Well, that, that is good. I know we're going to deal with that in a, in a couple of weeks' time. We, we, I'd like to run a program on that. Solly in Cape Town says, I'm a pensioner and I receive between 4 and 5% increase on my pension every year. However, my medical aid is going up between 9 and 10%. I also pay tax on the increase in pension. What do we as pensioners do today and with particular concern in the next five to ten years. Yeah, I mean he's, I mean, lucky, as a, he's yeah. lucky almost as a pensioner that he's getting, getting that, mu that much increase. Yeah. Uh, many people in the, in the employment sector, uh, their wages are going up by five to six percent and medical scheme premiums are going up by ten percent. It's very important to understand what this big gap is in medical inflation. It's not price related. The price of services, the price that we pay doctors, hospitals, for medicines and so on, that's well managed and well contained. It's the utilization, the consumption that's going up. We've got patients, the same group of patients in the healthcare system, using more and more healthcare every year. And that's because the population in, who's insured with medical schemes is getting older and sicker. Uh, and it is that utilization that a population who is paying for insurance collectively for the common good is having to pay much more for every year. Jonathan, do you think, um, uh, do you think that doctors are calling for too many tests as well because they're scared of liability? Rather be cautious than, 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 you know, than just palm, palm off a patient that there's nothing wrong. Yeah. In the main, Brian, I must say that the care delivered by the doctors in our private healthcare system is outstanding. And we really do get good value for money and a very good healthcare system that's delivered. It's unquestionable that there's wastage. Uh, the quantum of that wastage is, is, is guesswork because we can never work out exactly what it is. But the harder we look, the more and the more we find. A study in the US healthcare system recently performed demonstrated that 20 to 30% of cost in the US healthcare system was attributed to waste. And so there are much more efficient ways of delivering care. And I think we're getting much more alignment now in our conversations with doctors around value-based healthcare, around buying value, value outcomes, which eliminates waste as opposed to fee-for-service, where we pay for each thing that's done along the journey. Stuart in Benoni says, although medical schemes are exempt from VAT, the cost of medical services and products are not. Why is that? 
Yeah, it's very yeah, important hey? to understand this. Uh, the medical schemes are VAT zero rated. So what does that mean? It means they pay VAT on the services that they procure, but they're unable to claim VAT on the contributions that they receive for premiums. And so, you know, it, when, the, when VAT goes up by 1% for medical schemes in South Africa, that's a net cost. They cannot claim back the input VAT on the premiums that they charge. They only end up paying out that additional 1%, which in the case of, for example, Discovery Health Medical Scheme ends up being hundreds of millions extra for an extra percent VAT. Well, I'm going to take Joe's call, and then I'm going to take I've got an email from Andrew who talks about healthcare brokers. We'll deal with that in the next segment. Joe, good evening. Go ahead with the question, please. Brian, I wanted to know, with all the consolidation of medical schemes in South Africa, what does that mean for me as the end consumer, please? Okay, we'll certainly deal with that in the segment. We're going to take a short break. You can still call me on 011-484-0468. Stay tuned, and we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing healthcare. My guest is Ryan Note, Deputy CEO of Discovery Health. We've got a question that came from Joe. He spoke about the, the effects of consolidation. Is that still going on and how does that impact on members? Yeah, Joe's uh, absolutely correct. There's been dramatic consolidation over the last 10 years. And today there are 22 open medical schemes left in the market. That's 22 schemes that compete for members that anybody can join at any time. Uh, what it means for members is obviously on the one hand less choice, um, but on the other hand having a smaller number of large schemes from an insurance perspective and insurance risk perspective may actually be better in that uh, you know, catastrophic claims can easily cause a small sh uh, scheme to fall over. Uh, whereas a big scheme with large reserves and many members can ride claims volatility much more easily. Uh, tell me, how, what role does investment uh, returns play on a medical aid? Yeah, it plays an important role in propping up the solvency and keeping the medical aid reserves growing and sufficient to meet reserving requirements. Importantly, it doesn't play much of a role in pricing the medical scheme. Why is that? The price of a medical scheme needs to match the premiums to the claims that are paid out of risk. And if you don't have that matching of premiums and claims, you can de develop this actuarial death spiral, to use their term, the actuarial term, where ultimately a huge pricing correction is required to reinstate the sustainability of a scheme. So every year the scheme has to be priced so that premium matches the claims costs so on similar an annual to short -term basis. Similar to short-term insurance. Very no, similar to yeah, short-term insurance. Because you've got your underwriting profits and your investment yeah. profits. Although it's community-based in healthcare as opposed to risk-based in the short-term insurance business. Well, let's deal with Andrew in Pretoria's email because I've had a lot of questions about this. I haven't been able to answer. He says, I'm a healthcare broker and I've spent the last 20 years building up my practice. Is there any truth that commissions payable to brokers are going to be stopped? And let's just go, go back to one point you made. 22 open schemes, still choice, but the difficulty in understanding what one scheme offers compared to another. And that's where the, the medical yeah. broker comes in. And is the, I mean, his concern is correct. Guys have spent yeah. years building up client base yeah. and giving service. No, undoubtedly. So, you know, we have a very strong view on this. Not only are there 22 schemes, but each of those schemes has multiple mm. options. 
and the process of matching your financial needs to your healthcare needs of a family unit is very complicated. It is our strong view that this is a high advice industry and that you need astute uh, in, you know, financial advice from somebody who really understands the products, understands your personal circumstance and can find the right point for you to converge your financial and health needs around a product. So we're, we're very concerned about that. The Minister of Health in his press statement made a very sweeping statement that there will be no more health brokers. Uh, the bills that have been tabled don't quite make it that dramatic. Uh, the bill says, or proposes, and it's open for public comment now, uh, that members specifically have to pay the broker directly for the services, as opposed to the scheme paying the service, and that the member needs to consent directly to the broker for that payment, so it changes the mechanism. The health market inquiry, which came out after the acts, the, the drafts acts were tabled, it recognizes the importance of brokers, undoubtedly. And it's quite clear about brokers being uh, imp important, but it says that there should be a much better consent process between members and brokers. So this is up in the air. We're uncertain. Of course, there are many health brokers who have built large businesses whose families and income depends on this and who have a large book of members that depend on their advice. And so we're very hopeful and optimistic and supportive of the brokers to ultimately resolve this. Tommy Ryan, if you don't have a broker, you don't get a discount. It, the, 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 the pricing of a broker is built into the, the medical aid cost. Yes, There's no is. differential. Yes. And it's capped, by the way, as, as I think you know, Brian, uh, the Medical Schemes Act caps the commission that a broker may receive at 3%. Um, and so, you, you know, 3% of gross premium income. So it's a small proportion in relative terms. 3% and there's a, I think there's a cap on that as well with a maximum of a certain amount of money. Yeah, it's 3% is the, is the maximum cap per annum. And so assuming you got rid of brokers completely, you'd have a once-off benefit of 3% uh, and then no change to the inflation there, virtually no change to the inflation thereafter. Uh, Sandra in German said, we never answer that question of that one caller says that we, I get an increase on my pension 4 to 5% and what do I do? Ah. That is a problem for people yeah. as they age. Right, so we explained the difference between consumer price inflation and medical inflation yeah. being the consumption of services. The same group of people consuming much more health care, 3 to 5% more every year, which is the reason that the medical inflation is 3 to 5% above consumer price inflation. It is an enormous challenge. And the only way we can fix it in our healthcare system, our medical insurance industry, is to introduce much lower risk. Uh, and the best mechanism to do that, which was in the ANC's original health policy plan, is to make cover mandatory for everybody in the formal employment sector. If you did that, you'd have five to seven million currently employed but uncovered people entering healthcare insurance sector. Uh, they are generally much more favorable risk than the people that are in today. And as a result, premiums and the whole water level would drop dramatically. And it would affect the inflation going forward because utilization across the population would be much more controllable. But we need acts of legislation to deal with this current very anti-selective environment. But, but it is a problem for pensioners that as they get older. Not only they, pensioners. And, and, and because you, you actually use more of your healthcare spend in your last years of life, as, you, then as your early years, pensioners are really facing yeah. a difficult decision on what, whether, to, whether they have to downgrade, what they have to do with their medical aids. Yeah, actually the decision for a pensioner is easier than for a young person 
whose wages are going up by 5% and, and, and premiums are going up by closer to 10%. That young person is not claiming much. And so their decision whether to stay or go is even more exaggerated by the gap in inflation. For the pensioner as a group, they tend to claim much more. And so they get much more value out of the pool. But we need the young people to stay in to make those pools sustainable because ultimately they land up claiming too. Last email for the evening, Sandra in Durban says, I'm 73 year old and I recently took out a travel policy to cover myself on my trip to the USA. I understand pre-existing condition, but it was a cardiac exclusion. This really does not make sense and I've never read the small print before. What is this Discovery's experience in people traveling abroad and having a heart attack? Yeah, look, the Discovery Health Medical Scheme products, all of the products on the Discovery Health Medical Scheme, with the exception of the low-income product, KeyCare, offer full international travel cover. And the pre-existing definition on the Discovery Health products is simply that if you've had treatment or care within the 30 days prior to travel for a particular uh, condition, that condition is excluded during the travel. Otherwise, you get full travel insurance cover, irrespective of age. Now, that's quite different to most travel insurance products that are sold off the shelf. The majority of those will not cover you at the ex uh, extremes of age and will, in most cases, exclude any chronic condition that is pre-existing. It's a big problem for elderly people who want to travel. Well, there's no dispute that South Africa's healthcare system needs major reforms. There's a vast difference in healthcare between urban and rural areas, public and private health sectors, primary healthcare and hospital care. Ensuring that we have a quality, affordable healthcare system is critical. However, tampering with a private healthcare system that works and trying to improve an inadequate public system should not be interfered with until all the relevant parties have agreed on the way forward. Ryan, Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Thanks, it's Brian. important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. I'm sorry if I didn't get to all emails that I had this evening. We will do another program shortly. Next week's program will focus on investments. You need to get hold of me. My details will appear on the screen. Thank you for watching and good night.